Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Beckon Maintenance, high pressure washing, facility maintenance, and commercial sanitization. Check them out at beckon.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we are joined by former Australian cricketer and Melbourne Demon, Guy Walker. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. It's uh, an absolute honour to have you on. Uh, how are you going at the moment? Yeah, thanks for having me, Max. It's uh, it's it's an honour to be on, mate. I'm I'm going I'm going really well at the moment. It's nice nice weather over here now in Melbourne, which is good, and yeah. restrictions are easing, so can't complain. So your dad played first class cricket in the UK when you were just a kid, uh, before he coached the Malaysian cricket team. What was your childhood like growing up, um, in a couple of countries? Yeah, it was good. I was born in England, and all my family is still back there, and. I think it almost gave me that um, realization that travel really does broaden the mind, and I've been been so lucky to to travel to some amazing places around the world and experience some um, amazing cultures. So yeah, to sort of have dad play as a professional there, I, I, cricket was just always um, in my blood. I remember just when I was sort of primary school, even high school, just like whenever I could get a ball or a bat or play some cricket, I would, um, and that's where you sort of love for the game really eventuates and that's where you just want to be able to all I wanted to do was be a professional cricketer. What kind of sports did you play um, as a junior and growing up? Um, I played a bit of um, like every every bloke in Australia normally plays sort of footy cricket. Um, yeah. When I first got to Australia I had no idea what AFL was. I can still yeah. remember bouncing bouncing the ball around trying to kick it never seen the oval shape before and I was I was terrible like I'd, I didn't know <laughs> what was going on so yeah I, I played a bit of that I'd always athletics at, at um at school or cross country whatever I could do whatever I could do to try and get a day off school I would try and do <laughs> <laughs> when did you sort of realize that you could make a career out of playing cricket uh it's a good question I think I was always that sort of kid. Um, I remember speaking to Will Bukowski about it actually, and he sort of said that he never realised his talent until sort of he was contracted. And I was sort of pretty similar, mate. I was just loving playing footy in the winter, cricket in, in the summer. And the older I got, when I sort of started to get to 12, 13, they both became a lot busier. I'd be training yeah. every night, sort of playing for representative teams or playing for Victoria at under underage groups. And probably not until when I was... I uh, probably played Australian under-16s cricket um, and then started to realise that and people started saying, you're probably going to have to make a decision soon. And a decision soon for me was thinking, I'll play my under-18 TAC Cup year um, for the Calder Cannons and if I get drafted, great. If not, I'll try and play cricket. But it, yeah. that didn't didn't quite happen for me. Korea <laughs> um, Victoria came um, with a contract when I was 17 years old, a contract offer and... I really wanted to, to play footy um, at the stage as well, but I wanted I love both sports equally. So when they came with a contract offer, that was pretty much it for me. I, I, I went to cricket. You mentioned Cricket Victoria coming at you um, at the age of 17. How did you get your name out there for them to notice you at such an early age? Uh, I, I think they, they have grips on most kids um, at an underage level if they're starting to play Victorian underage teams and... I, I played, like I said, that Australian under-16s tour and I think I took the most wickets and won the bowling there and against the West Indies. And then I remember I, I had a year off for a stress, stress fracture. I was When I was in the West Indies for the Aussie under-16s, 
I, I had a stress fracture. No, I knew I had one when I was going over there and I just bowled with it. Um, most pain I've ever been in, I think. Um, oh. And then sort of came back and played under 17s for Victoria, won the player of the championships there. And and then onto Aussie 19 stuff where we sort of started touring the, touring the world. And that was when I sort of got a, a tap on the shoulder to say um, early on to say, hey, look, we, we don't want you playing footy. Um, we want to keep you in cricket. You played for Australia in the under-19s World Cup. What was that whole experience like for you as a young lad? Uh, looking back at it now, it was probably one of the probably one of the most amazing experiences I had in my cricketing journey. One where I wasn't injured the whole time. I, I remember leading in, I had another stress fracture, and um, it was in between tours. I think I think we toured, we toured New Zealand, India. Um, and then in between there, before the World Cup, I got a stress fracture and came back just in time. And yep. we played in Sri Lanka and then moved over to the World Cup, which was played in Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai. And it was an amazing experience sort of traveling to them countries, playing against India and Sri Lanka and South Africa. And I got to play with some amazing players. But I think that the, the overruling thing that sort of I remember is is just building such a great relationship with some um, of my, of good mates today, really, and you sort of get to travel with not only great cricketers but some great mates as well, and really sort of get to develop a bond there with them, and and that that was sort of what I loved about the whole thing. We we made the semi final, unfortunately, we lost there, but yeah, sort of the camaraderie between all of your mates. We travelled together for two years, so that was awesome fun. What sort of feelings and emotions, and what was your mental health like when you found out that you were selected for that under nineteen World Cup? Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I think, uh, from what I can remember, we sort of played in a, um, almost like an under 18 talent camp and it was up in Brisbane at the Academy. And, um, I think most of us knew pretty early on if we were going to get selected in the squad and they, they let us know pretty early on. And it was really good cause we, they, they sort of, um, let us tour around New Zealand. So we had a test series against New Zealand, played against England, played against yeah. South Africa and India and India. So I think the core group of the squad, the sort of 10, 12 blokes were always in them series and it was sort of the other two or three that would come in and come out. Um, so it was really, really nice knowing that you're going to get selected for the most most tours and they sort of had you in their, um, in their thinking for the actual World Cup. So, But to, to actually get named um, and get back from injury was the big one. I, I knew that I'd play if I got back from injury, but unfortunately with stress fractures sometimes it's just like you've just got to hope that they disappear um and i was fortunate enough that it disappeared in time and i had two or three weeks to get prepared for the world cup who was who were some of the people who you still mates with now from that world cup uh probably one of the big ones was um big billy stanlake uh me and him opened the bowling together but we just had a really, really um, solid relationship. As soon as we started playing together, we just we, we had a great time. We we had a really good bond, and still speak to him quite a bit. Um, players like Jake Doran, Benny McDermott, um, probably my, my best mate from that tour was probably Billy and and a bloke called Jaron Morgan. Um, not many people would know him, but he he played he made his big bash debut last year, and still to this day, probably the most talented batter I've ever seen in my life. Um, wow. And he's just start, starting to come good now. Um, so he he's someone that I, I keep in regular contact with. Uh, what's that like to sort of form a bond with guys um, who you're playing in a cricket team with? 
Yeah, it's hard to explain um, to some people because if you think about cricket, you not only do you spend eight hours a day if you're playing with these blokes, and a lot of the times it's off the field. Um, and then when you're traveling around with them, you're traveling around. Some of the series we'd play would be for four or five weeks and you'd be sharing a room with some of them and dinner at every dinner every night with them. So you literally become thick as thieves with each other and it's, it's awesome sometimes because obviously... Boys will be boys sometimes and you, you just muck around, you take the mick out of each other. It's it's awesome fun and then you also get to represent your country. So I think a lot of blokes look back at it and, and see it as, as an amazing experience like I did. You played your first Big Bash T20 game um, at the Melbourne Renegades. How did yourself, how did like yourself signing with them come about? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story actually because I remember a couple of years before I was um, rookie to the Melbourne Stars and injured again I think I was injured for a couple more years and I was actually coming back from injury and David Saker had just come on to be the the coach of Victoria and there was one more spot remaining on the Renegades list and I thought I was no hope because I had a, I had another back, back stress fracture I think the last spot had to be concluded within two weeks and I was wow. I literally had two weeks of bowling under my belt and I, I, I spoke to Sakes about this um, a long time after it and the reason why he, he wanted to sign me was he, he kept looking um, and kept asking the physios if I was fully fit. And one day up in at the MCG, there's the gyms on top of the nets and you can see out. Um, and I was just bowling one day. I didn't know anyone was watching me. But un, unbeknown that he was actually on top watching me bowl and he just came down and pretty much said, do you want the last Renegades contract? Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so pretty much from there, played a couple of practice games and, and started getting fully fit and started to bowl pretty fast and um and then yeah sort of did well in them practice games and uh named to play uh my first big bash game what was that whole first game experience like for yourself yeah it was pretty incredible like looking back at it now it was it was pretty surreal because it was the first time i was fit in a couple of years and i just remember playing practice games and and doing really really well in them and i was bowling as fast as i've ever, ever ever bowled in my life and I had some of the boys coming up to me saying, you're bowling absolute rockets and huh. um, and you're playing at, playing at the Gabba, so it, it'll suit me. I remember um, a spinner called Xavier Doherty. I don't know if um, he's retired a few years ago now, but he came up to me and he said, the Gabba will, be, will really suit you. It'll um, be really quick. And I thought, oh, beautiful. And I remember before the game sort of warming up and thinking, yep, I'm going to come out. I know, we, I know what I need to execute tonight. Um, and then first over... I bowled, I think I had the fourth or fifth ball, had Lendl Simmons dropped on the boundary and it got palmed over for, for four. So it was dropped oh, no. and then palmed for four. So instead of having one for seven, I think I had like none for 11 that first oh. over. And then, and then yeah, unfortunately, Chris Lynn came, came in a little bit later <laughs> and uh, absolutely smacked me everywhere. So it was funny. I did a podcast with him um, yeah. a couple of weeks ago and he sort of took, he sort of said, this is the uh, the first time that we've spoken together off off a cricket field. So yeah, it that. was a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> As a fast bowler, what's your tactics coming into bowl against a great batsman like your mate, Chris Lynn? Yeah, I, th I think it, it all depends, like, especially in T20 cricket, like listening to Linny's um, thoughts around what he sort of said to me was sort of in fear, the way that he attacks his fears is by being aggressive. Um, and that's what he did in T20 cricket. So especially in T20 cricket, it's not almost, it's not about bowling fast. It's about being tactical. It's about understanding the strengths of the batsman, um, how you're going to get out of an over where, 
in sort of two day, four day cricket, it's a little bit different where you know your strengths and it's like all the good players come back to it and it's probably not spoken about enough, but it literally just is the basics. You've got to be able to execute your stock ball. Um, and even in 2020, to an extent, you've got blokes like Andrew Ty that bowl 16 different change-ups, but yeah. the bowlers that do really well are the bowlers that can execute their skill um, and be really good at the basics. If you could choose anyone to bowl to um, in the world, who would that be? Um, that's a good question. Probably... Uh, Probably Chris Gale in the nets, um, yeah. just because he blocks them, which is really, really strange. I'd, I I remember when he was with the Renegades the first year I was there, um, you'd expect him to sort of get to training and absolutely smack him and all that sort of stuff, but doesn't face bowlers, just gets a, gets a throw-down net and just blocks them. Um, huh. And that's his net session for 10 minutes and then leaves. So probably him in the nets just, just so he won't smack me. Soon after the under-19s Aussies World Cup, he had numerous shoulder injuries and surgeries. Was it that damaging all at once to your mental health or like put you down and then um, when you thought that you were going to be able to go again, hype you up? Yeah, that it's a good question because, yeah, so I, I got to the, I sort of got to the first surgery um, and I rehabbed for a year and um, I pretty much, I was pretty positive at this at the time because I played a lot of cricket with um, John Hastings down at Footscray Edgewater, my club side, and he was at Victoria and, and made sure that I did the, the rehab correctly. Um, so he was really, really good. But after a year of no cricket um, and a long rehab, I ended up yeah. coming back to bowl and knew something wasn't right. Um, went back in for a scan and unfortunately the surgeon had left the anchor on my labrum um, which meant I had to go back in for another surgery and get it removed. Um, and it was also too tight as well. So I missed another season um, to rectify the first surgery. Um, and then, yeah, mate, I sort of got to a stage where I had no faith in my shoulder anymore. I couldn't throw, I couldn't, I couldn't bowl, I couldn't remember what it was like. Um, and yeah, that was sort of when we made the decision. I just thought, well, there's an opportunity with footy here. Do I go to footy and... and and give it a crack. What was that like to have that opportunity to make the switch from cricket to AFL? Yeah, it was it was an amazing one. I, the year before, um, when the that was an MOU that that which is a memorandum of understanding, I think it's called, and it was between the ACA, the Australian Cricketers Association, and Cricket Australia. And um, what happens is we our contracts didn't stand because they couldn't come to an agreement. So. What happened at that time when we weren't getting paid for a couple of months was I actually had Essendon come to me and um, offer me a rookie B contract um, to join them, which I declined because I was still playing cricket and wanted to get back. And that was that was just before the second surgery. Um, and the next year, the same thing happened. I sort of thought, well, let's just see what teams are interested. Um, I went back to England to see my family and got calls from um, some AFL teams um, Brisbane and Adelaide were the main ones and they wanted me to to come and play off a halfback flank for them and it was incredible like they still had notes on me from like under 14s cannons and under wow. 16s cannons and it was mental so yeah I, I trained with them quite a bit and then trained with Essendon a bit trained with St Kilda and um, ended up getting to the stage where Adelaide and Brisbane had contracts on the table um, but I just I wanted to stay in Melbourne just because I had a, a few family things going on and I had all my friends and partner here and Melbourne literally came with two days left for me wow. to decide um, 
And my best mate, sort of Joel Smith, went up to up to him and sort of said, "Well, guys, got to sign this contract in a couple of days." And Melbourne had an offer for me that night, um, and that was it. I just looking back at it now, it was a wrong decision. I definitely should have gone to a Brisbane or or even Adelaide, um, as there was going to be more opportunity there. But I I went to Melbourne. Um, it was a good time while it lasted, but yeah, definitely th- something that I regret during my career. You went to the D's as a Category B rookie. Can you tell me about that? Um what like a what's the difference between um a normal list player and category b yeah it was um the main difference is uh you, you couldn't have played an afl game or, or football for three years so um when i first joined the victorian squad alex keith was with me for about three or four years before he moved on to onto footy um and it was the same thing as me. We, we both hadn't played for three years and, and it's almost like a free pickup. It's outside the salary cap. So a lot of teams, if they have notes on you uh, and they think you could have got drafted when you were younger, they almost see it as a free pickup and not someone yep. on their list. So yeah, like it, it was it was a good position to be in. Um, but like I said before, it was I definitely, I, I knew the right decision was to go to Brisbane, but I just didn't make it in the end just because other other factors in, in life get in the way and, and you sometimes make the wrong decision. Once you were out the Demons, you ended up with severe nerve damage. What caused the damage and what year or month was this in? Uh, I think it was like three months into, two or three months into pre-season um, and it was the first time in, I think it was like four years that I was actually injury-free. Um, and when I say injury-free, the shoulder still wasn't great, but... Um, yeah. It was, it was, I could play still, I could do most things. So, uh, funnily enough, it was literally the session before Christmas. Um, we'd been training for three months. I was going well and I actually tore my quad with the last kick of the last kick of the session. I tore my quad and I knew it and I was running around. Um, and I knew I, I did it before and I, I knew I tore my quad and, um, I was in a tackling drill about 10 minutes later cause I didn't need the, I didn't need the quad. I just thought I'll get yeah. through it. And, I got a hit from literally the littlest bloke on the list, um, little Toby Bedford. If if you haven't seen him, he's, he's there's not much to him. He's he's not the <laughs> biggest boy, um, and just I just remember my shoulder going dead. And I went into the physio's room after and said, um, I said, Peachy, my um, my I've torn my quad. I know that. I don't know how bad it is, um, but I also felt my shoulder go dead. And he just went, Oh, probably just because you got tackled or whatever. And Went away for Christmas. We got two weeks off, and I came back, and um, the doctor looked at my shoulder, and he, he, I could see the surprise on his face. And he turned around. And he said, "What has happened to you?" And it was almost like a massive chunk out of my shoulder blade had gone, and all oh, the muscle right. out of my shoulder gone. And so, pretty much, what happened, we knew. I, I, I trained. I trained on for another two months because no one knew. It was so rare that no one knew what was going on with me. I was getting MRIs, but wow. nothing would show up because it was nerve damage, and we didn't know. Um, so what happened was at that time, uh, a nerve had nearly severed from my neck. Um, and what it does is, is nerves all around our body send messages to muscles. Um, yep. and when the, when the nerve can't send messages down to your muscles that they just completely vanish. Um, so I was, I was in the most pain I've ever been in my life. Um, every night I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning, but when you, when you haven't played or trained for so long, you just want to keep training. So I trained for a couple of more months and, and got to the stage where I still remember to, to this day, we were um, we were doing an upper body weight session at about seven in the morning. And in the mornings, I was real bad. I, my, I couldn't move my shoulder. And um, I went down in there and the the gym coach sort of looked at me and said, what's going on? And he just said, oh, take off your top. And I tried to take off my top 
and I nearly screamed in pain. Um, I've never felt, it felt like someone stabbed me in the back of the shoulder and from then they knew something was wrong. Um, went to see some neurologists and got some heavy scans and EMGs, which is like electric um, scans or something like that to test your nerves and they knew something was wrong. So yeah, mate, it was, uh, it was a long process and then sort of walked into the neurologist's office um, and it wasn't even... I thought I'd go in there and she'd say, oh, you're out for the year. And I walked in there and I could see that something wasn't right. And she turned around and said, you've got something called suprascapular neuropathy. You'll have 40% of a shoulder for the rest of your life. And um, you've got to retire right now and you can never play AFL or cricket again. What's that like to have your career path set out for you um, after making the switch from cricket to AFL and then it just all stops and ends because of an injury? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, and it's funny because some people still say to me, they're like, oh, do you miss cricket? Do you miss footy? And I, my, my honest answer is I actually can't remember what it was like to play. I can't remember what it was like to walk onto a cricket field. It's been that long. I can't, I cannot remember a thing. So yeah, it, it is really unfortunate and it's something that I miss to this day. And it's the little things. It's like being able to just walk out there with your teammates. And, and like I said about the under 19s is, um, develop them bonds and them and them friendships for life which i can't do anymore by walking out onto a field but the way i sort of try to look at it now is is to be grateful about um i got to live out my dream as both sports that i loved as a kid um and now it's just about adapting to life and being grateful for what i have because um traveling away to places like india and sri lanka and and getting to see some some things that we don't get to see in australia like the slums and 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 some of the the situations people live in it really does give you a sense of gratitude which has been really really helpful for me what emotions were running through your head when calling it quits on your sporting career uh yeah it's a good question i i I can't really remember I, i remember being frustrated um at the whole fact, why me again? I just, I think I had three or four shoulder surgeries and couldn't get back onto the field. And I got told that this injury had never happened in cricket or AFL. And I got told that this injury is so rare that no one gets it. And if anyone does get it, it's normally different sports or it's normally older people. Um, so yeah, it was just why me um, again. And I guess that that was the first emotions was being frustrated um, and just knowing that I couldn't play again. But then I think what I try to do now is, is I try to learn different things. I try to read a lot of books, do, do a lot of courses and understand um, the way that people have developed in their life. And one thing that's, that, that keeps popping up for me is knowing that, um, knowing my routines, um, keep developing, keep learning, um, practice gratitude, practice these different things. Um, and there's a lot more to life than than sport, and it's something that I'm that I still struggle with sometimes because I still see myself as Guy Walker the athlete, but I'm I need to look at myself as Guy Walker the the human being. So, yeah, mate, like I said, um, it's difficult, but there's so many other people struggling in this world, and and that's one thing that I've learned is is by giving back and helping people that are less fortunate, it gives you a bit more sense of purpose and and meaning. When asking yourself, sort of, why me? Like, you know, why? do I always have to get the injuries? What did you do to get your mental health and mindset back on track? Yeah, like I said before, it, it's a really, really good question. And unfortunately, a lot of athletes probably don't learn this. I only learned this after finishing. And 
we are so lucky as athletes to have so much, so many resources available to us, like psychologists and and that sort of stuff. But um, there's still definitely stigma in in professional sport. If you do see a psychologist or you say that you're seeing the psychologist, um, other players sort of look at you like, oh, what's wrong, sort of thing. And um, it doesn't. It, it definitely doesn't need to be that. Be like that. But like I said before, it's 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 um, self development. It's um, I reach. I've when I finished, I reached out to a lot of people and asked them for a coffee. People like entrepreneurs, sports stars, um, meditation coaches, TEDx speakers, and I've spoke to all of them. And um, it's amazing what comes back from successful people. Um, and it's definitely just something that I'm trying to learn: is how do I get myself better? How do I move on? What am I going to do? What meaning? What purpose is going to be um, for me moving forward in life? Because like I said. Sports not everything, and there's so many other other ways that I can help people and in, impact um, the world in my own way. You've recently begun the journey of your own podcast, The Athlete Diaries. Uh, when and how did the idea of your beginning of beginning your own podcast develop? Yeah, I I, I think it it sprung out when, like most media channels, is you only see the guy that makes two million dollars the IPL auction, or you only see the really really big sporting stars, and yeah. you don't see you don't see the stories of struggle, of challenge, of adversity. You don't see that, and that's what I think people want to see. People want to th- want to see authenticity. They want to see transparency, um, honesty, and sharing some of these stories of superstar athletes that go through the same struggles that we all go through, I think has yeah. been really, really um, beneficial, especially through COVID. Um, listening to Will Pukowski, um, who took time off uh, to sort his mental health issues out and, and he's gone away and did what I did. He self-developed, he, uh, he read a lot of books, he took some courses, he understood, he, he, he took time to think about what he wanted and look at him now, he's, he's 23 years old, he understands what makes him tick, what 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 triggers him uh he knows uh he knows how the brain works how his brain works and look at him now look at the successes he's yeah. going through now which it makes it so powerful is is getting messages from people saying hey look i didn't know will was going through that sort of stuff i'm going through mental health issues at the moment i'm going to have a look at the course that he went through i'm going to read the books that he read and some of the things that have come back has been really really inspirational how far do you want to take um, your podcast or um, your sort of media side of sport career? Yeah, I probably wouldn't say the media side of the career just because it's very competitive um, and it's difficult to get into, but plus yeah. probably it's not exactly aligned to the values that I, I sort of pride myself on and definitely want to keep keep going with the podcast um, and bring out season two with some more amazing athletes and I just want to keep getting better and keep sharing these these amazing stories and it's been so cool sort of building building an audience and building a community around that not only not every story was um, really really powerful but some stories were just people like listening to people like enjoyed that person and and to get the messages back of I really liked that episode with this person was was exactly why why I started the podcast in the first place. We've seen um, recently great cricketers like Glenn Maxwell, um, you know, speak out about and take some time off cricket, cricket for his mental health. Do you think that would have made things easier for you knowing that other cricketers and sports people have now done the same as you? Um, yeah, I, I probably look at them as a lot more brave than me. Um, just because when I was playing, um, 
I didn't, I didn't so much go through um, difficult mental health issues, but I definitely was going through things I didn't understand. I was away from the team the whole time. I probably missed out on um, a lot of opportunity and a lot of experiences that I would have loved to have had, and I was only young still, and I probably didn't have that uh, leadership or encouragement. Um, and that was probably just cricket back then. A lot of, um, a lot of states, it was very still... Because cricket is, in a way, a little bit of a selfish game you have to look after your own individual performance or you're gonna get dropped so but going back to sort of glenn and, and will um and even to an extent dame beams in footy and mental health uh injuries is is like a normal injury um and people need to start seeing it like that like some of the comments and unfortunately social media gives everyone a voice now and yeah. some of the things that people are saying is is quite unbelievable because you don't know what what circumstances someone's going through and I think it's so incredibly brave that they've come out and, and been able to, to share what they're going through because it, it's massive in society. Like in in males, it, it's massive mental health. So for these people to actually stand up and say, you know what, I am struggling, it, it actually gives these other people a voice as well, which is so powerful. What would be your best advice to anyone trying to make their way um, into playing uh, a pro professional sport or like cricket and footy? Yeah, it's a good question. It's It goes back to that same thing of, of enjoyment, going back to make sure, play for that kid that, that was six years old, that loved cricket, loved footy, loved basketball, play for that kid because sometimes it does get difficult. Um, and if you put too much pressure on yourself or one that I'm seeing now is a lot, of, a lot of parents are putting extreme pressure on their kids and living their life through their kids. And sport is, is hard enough living it through your own skin, let alone someone else's. So... It's, it's about that enjoyment and you never know where it can get you. Like you look at someone like me that was professional at 17 years old and you look at someone like uh, a Michael Hussey that didn't make his debut for Australia until he was 30. Like keep, keep, keep going. If that's your dream, keep, keep going. Pick people's brains. It took me a long time to to turn around. I, I was in I was in the same squad as some, as the best cricket brain I've, I've ever come across in Cameron White and it took me three or four years to actually say, hey, why do you what do you reckon about this um and they're people too they want to help so pick pick the brains of the people that are successful and what do they do that's successful thank you guy for being part of uh, the sporting max podcast and sharing your insights into your life and your struggles and your career um so far and all the best of luck for your future with the athlete diaries and the rest of your life thanks so max thanks for having me no worries, guys. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube.